0: I want you to imagine that you're at home and suddenly you get a knock on the door from uh, a policeman or maybe it's from someone in the SAS and uh, this person says to you that there's a large fire on the way over the hills and far away and you need to evacuate and you take this news in, you hear him say it and you look around but there doesn't really seem to be a lot of evidence. You can't see or hear the fire. Perhaps you can't even smell it. And so you've got to work out what to do. You've sort of got two competing sources of of truth, your own senses and what you can perceive and the, the words of this person who seems to know what they're talking about. What do you decide to do? Well... If you decide to stay, you might notice that all of a sudden all of your neighbours are leaving. They're perhaps wiser than you or they've made different choices to you at least. Uh, And then many hours later, perhaps even the next day, you might discover that in fact the policeman was right. The fire is coming and now you can smell it and see it and hear it, but it's too late and you're in a whole lot of danger. Sometimes it's uh, difficult for us to get a hold on our reality, and of course, uh, it's a—it's not a perfect analogy, but there's a sense in which th- this is kind of our role as Christians, isn't it? To to, to stand and to warn and to encourage people to consider the tr- their true reality as sinners in need of God's saving grace. As Christians, we have a responsibility to to point people to their True needs, their deepest needs, their need for relationship with their Creator, and to invite them to have those needs met in Christ. To invite them ultimately to experience salvation, which we'll come to in a moment. But we are in a little series on the book of Titus, and uh, it's, a, it's been a short series, it's a short book. And uh, it tells us, uh, we've seen, uh, it's got, Paul's got two concerns in this book. How we think about who God is and what he's done for us, our doctrine, and, whoa, then how we live. There we go, all fixed. Uh, And then how we live. Uh, So right thinking, what we believe, and right uh, living, what we do, doctrine and duty, another way of thinking it, as John Stott puts it. And we've seen so far that in the church, uh, that that, that Paul is concerned that Titus, as he's living with the people in Crete and as he's setting up the church there, is particularly concerned that these two areas of thinking correctly about who God is and what that means for the people and then living that out, uh, he's particularly concerned that that find itself worked out in in the church and particularly into the relation to the kind of leaders that the church has in chapter one Uh, in chapter two we see his focus move to the internal relationships that the uh, people uh, have in their homes in their households because of course we we talked about that uh, last week about how that's where you, the rubber really hits the road for us as individuals, isn't it? How we relate to those we're in constant contact with in our homes. And now he's turning his mind briefly to how our doctrine and our and our living ought to, ought to work itself as we're forward-facing to the world around us and seeking to show them their true reality. And we get this in verses 1 and 2. If you have a look, it's on page nine. 6 of the Bibles under your chair. Paul gives Titus instructions that he's to teach the people of God in Crete to be really good citizens. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. First, Paul says, the way you be a, a good Christian citizen is to obey your rulers. It's part of what we've tried to do this morning, isn't it? In giving thanks to God for the life of Queen Elizabeth and praying for the new king, being a, a, a good citizen. There's also a sense uh, in which uh, this is probably specific advice for people who are from Crete, because we know that they were particularly good at rebelling. And so it's it's a way that the Christian can differentiate uh, him or herself from the people of the day. But we see as well, it's not just a call, is it, to uh, law-abiding good citizenship, but it's a call to partnership, actually. Be ready to do whatever is good. That is, as a Christian, we're called not just to submit ourselves to the authorities, but actually to seek to work with our authorities in order to achieve good outcomes. But not only that, that's a, it's, that's a limiting statement as well, isn't it? We don't just become puppets of the government, we only work with them in as much as we can do whatever is good, whatever accords with God's good and created order. And there's an implicit implication there, I think, that we must resist and speak out when the government does evil and opposes what is good. So we're called to this uh, good citizenship, uh, submitting to authorities, seeking to partner with them when they're on the side of the good and uh, uh, calling them out when they're on the side of the bad. And then Paul moves to uh, instructions for how Titus is to teach the people To live more generally uh, in the world outside not just in as as it relates to the government chapter verse 2 be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone no slander peacemakers gentleness i think here we see in part the, the mode of operation for the Christian as they seek to be good citizens engaging in public life. No slander, peacemakers, considerate. That gives sort of advice to us as to how we're to act when we're seeking to oppose what is bad or evil. And. I could give you all sorts of tidbit advice on how to uh, uh, put this into practice but as I was thinking and reflecting on this I thought to myself you know what I think this is probably these are probably two good verses for us to commit to memory so that they can shape out forward-facing action as Christians in the world But when the government's doing something silly and we're starting to get on our high horse about how this politician's a waste of space and uh, pathetic, and we're tapping away on our keyboards on Facebook talking about how horrible everyone is, we bring to mind Titus 3 1 and 2, and we allow God's Spirit to transform our action. Good doctrine and good living. So let me encourage you to take these verses, to meditate them and to allow them to critique the way perhaps you've engaged with outsiders. But why? Why would you do that? In fact, why would you do any of the things that Paul's been encouraging Titus to teach the church about in the last um, few weeks? Why would you seek to be self-controlled if you're a young man? Why would you seek to be temperate? Why would you seek to be uh, uh, the kind of leader that Paul talks about in chapter 1? Why would you seek to be a good citizen? Well, that's where Paul moves next. All of this is done because of what God has done for us, and that is he saved us. And in verses 3 to 8, we have this marvellous picture and explanation of the salvation that God has won for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, as you look through those verses uh, in front of you, you'll see uh, Paul outlines several things that are important when it comes to salvation. First, he notes our need for it, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. When we remember our position before God without the saving work of Jesus Christ, well, it enables us to be the kind of citizen that Paul's encouraging us to be. But it also reminds us of the great and wonderful grace of God, that we need saving. Uh, psychologist Carl Jung writes, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. He's saying the way you improve is you, you, you think about the negative and you try and work through that. Now, I'm not saying because Carl Jung said it, therefore you should do it. I'm saying psychologists have figured out what the Bible's figured out, which is you need to understand your true position in order to understand what God is, has done for you. And at, at its heart, Christianity is a religion about salvation, Which means if you want to understand it, if you want to get your doctrine right, if you want to get your life right, you need to understand that you are or were a foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved uh, person who needed God's grace. You needed saving. You couldn't get yourself to heaven. Not even the queen could get herself to heaven. So are you fully convinced that that is who you were or who you are if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? When I was a youth pastor, uh, I remember having a very vivid con- conversation with uh, one of my youth Uh, who was very upset with the idea that um, people needed saving and that God was a righteous judge. And as we talked about it for a bit, we boiled it down to this. Did this person believe that she needed to be saved or did she think that she was good enough by herself? And it turns out, I think that is what she thought. Because let me tell you, I am fully convinced that I need the saving grace of God. And that without it, I don't deserve any of his favour. There's a few people floating around this church who've known me for a long time. And they can probably testify to you uh, that... uh, I need God's saving grace. In fact, we probably don't even need to go back to the people who've known me for 15 or 20 years, do we? We could probably just talk about the last year and some of the things that uh, you've seen me do or the ways I've let you down or whatever it might be. But the reason I mention those people who knew me when I was 14 or 15 is because when the grace and mercy of God became real to me and when I understood for the first time that I was a sinner and needing of salvation, it was radical and I am different. I once heard a wise Christian leader say to me, he hung out with his brother for the first time in 10 years and it was like looking into a mirror as to exactly what he would be like if it, but, but for the saving grace of God. All his imperfections, all the things he struggles with, all the things that he's tried to work out, he just saw them there in his brother, in their complete, unregenerate filth. And he was so thankful to God for his saving work. We must come to terms with the fact that we need God's radical intervention in our lives to save us, to transform us. And that's where Paul moves next, is to the the source and the grounds for our salvation. Verses 3 and the start of verse 5. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We need this, and it comes to us, not because we prove ourselves a little bit uh, in our state of uh, unregenerate, unsaved, uncleanness, No, it comes to us because of who God is, his love and mercy and kindness. And it comes to us through God, our Saviour, who sent Jesus. It's very easy, isn't it? When we think about the lives of people we love who've passed away. And of course, this week as a church, we're mourning not just the Queen but someone even more significant to the life of this church in Joyce. And as we think about her life and legacy, 99 years in the one church, it's easy to think, isn't it? Wow, if you come to the same church for 99 years and you're faithful through thick and thin... You deserve to be in heaven. Like if, there, if ever anyone was going to earn their way into heaven, it'd either be the Queen or Joyce, but they're probably both there by their own works. But no, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. When I die, it's it's not that I've done lots of nice things for churches because I'm a minister that God's gonna welcome me into heaven. It'll be because of his mercy. And for you too, it's because of his mercy. You're saved because of what God has done for you. And he's done that through Jesus. Paul moves on to the means uh, as he continues in verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our salvation is a supernatural thing. God loves us, he sent his son to save us, and he pours out his mercy upon us in giving us his spirit to transform us, to make us more like him. We participate in that. We're called to active participation, as we've heard in this letter, called to self-control. It's a spiritual gift, in fact, in Galatians 5. But it's all done in and with and through God because of what God has done for us. And the goal, the goal of our salvation, verse 7, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's what we're looking forward to. Every now and again, someone like the Queen dies or... Chain Warren, feels weird to mention them both in, uh, in the same sentence. Uh, but there's these these are significant figures in our world who it sort of feels like, you know, it's sort of sad that they've died, but wow, what a legacy. But our hope is not in our legacies. Our hope is in the future. Our hope is eternal life. And that's what God has saved us for, to spend an eternity in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more crying, death, pain. What a marvellous thing that is. Then he moves to our, the evidence of our salvation. See, this is a supernatural thing, it's done by God, it's not earned uh, of, our, of ourselves. But you can see its effect. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Though it's a spiritual reality, our salvation has practical, real-world implications. You can see the evidence of a transformed life. You should be able to look back on your life if you've been a Christian for a while and and kind of see the evidence of how God has changed you. It's a bit like the wind. Can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. And so it is with the saving grace of God as he pours out his spirit on his people can't see that but you can see the evidence of a transformed life and you can also see evidence of a non-transformed life look at verses 9 and 11 but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time after that have nothing to do with them you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful they are self-condemned These people are showing the fruit of an untransformed life. They don't submit to those God has put in authority over them. They seek to divide and destroy. They've missed the point. They haven't experienced the saving work of Christ, and we can see the evidence of that. Well, Paul concludes his letter in these uh, final verses from verse 12 to 15 uh, with a few final instructions and personal messages. And uh, rather than spending all sorts of time talking about them, let me just say they're a good reminder, I think, of the fact that what we have here is a real letter by a real bloke written to another bloke who had a job to do and Paul was trying to help and he just thought, i better chuck in a few... I better sort out a few details in the end. You go back and have a look at uh, in one of the Timothy letters. At the end here, Paul says, Hey, can you send my coat, please? I'm cold. We've got a real person meeting other real people, people like us, struggling like us, trying to work out their salvation. And that's a good reminder to us as we see these little tidbits at the end of Paul's letters. So as we wrap up this book of Titus, we see that what we believe matters. We need sound doctrine, as, Tim, uh, as sorry as Paul puts it in chapter 2. Healthy theology that transforms not just our heads, but our hearts, and, and has an overflow into our actions. And when we get that healthy theology, that life-transforming theology, that sound doctrine, understanding who Jesus is and what that means, understanding that he saved us, understanding that he's poured his spirit out upon us and allowing him to work through us, how we live will be a reflection. It will be evidence of God's saving work in us. And if you are a Christian, then let me encourage you, as Paul encourages Titus, to be devoted to doing what is good. Verse 14. That's the call of the Christian, working out their salvation and working for the good of those around them, seeking to bring them into a knowledge and love of their saviour. I can think of no better way to end the series than Paul himself does. Grace be with you all, amen.